Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning has gone completely virtual. We've taken both our Level 1 and Level 2 courses and loaded them onto an online platform so that you can digest the power of this amazing operating system from the comfort of your home. We combine this recorded video experience with live Zoom labs to bring all the principles and practices of reconditioning to life through applied case study. In turn, you walk away with how to best use this language of common practice to bring the worlds of therapy and performance together in one powerful approach that creates lasting change in your client's performance. This fall, ReconditioningHQ.com is launching a complete experience package that brings all of the video teachings together with a powerful mentorship program and a weekly community touchpoint so you can grow as the reconditioning revolution grows. We are truly excited about the possibilities. We believe that success in any venture begins with the right mindset. We know that the statistics for burnout in human performance are significant and that many of our colleagues face questions every day about personal fulfillment and living their best life. This is why we've started a landmark program for human performance professionals called Empower You. This program is all about crafting your best life, living purposefully and enjoying the fruits of your impassioned labor. We start our next quarter in September and we'd love to have you along for the ride. For more information about reconditioning courses or our amazing Empower You program, head over to ReconditioningHQ.com and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 Canadian off the program of your choice. Leave Your Mark believes in our sponsor, Matrix Fitness, to bring the best of human performance equipment and support to our listeners. Matrix is one of the leading-edge manufacturers of fitness products on the planet today and one of the fastest growing. Their equipment and programs are used by performance practitioners of all levels throughout the world today. Matrix Fitness engineers have put together their free home workout app and youth at-home workout programs. This is an example of how Matrix Fitness serves the fitness community all over the world and how building strong communities is their goal. You can access Matrix Fitness applications and support at MatrixTotalSolutionsSupport.com. Their purpose is to help you thrive. What's in your ZNA? That is a question our sponsor Zenkai Sports has for you. Are you interested in increasing your performance output, helping the environment, and doing less laundry? If you answered yes to any of those questions, please go to ZenkaiSports.com and check out the latest innovation in performance apparel. Zenkai uses cutting-edge technology that repels sweat and other liquids. Zenkai apparel lets the sweat stay on your skin, keeping your cooler for longer and repelling odor-causing bacteria. This means Zenkai apparel can be worn 10, 15, 20 times with no washing required. I would highly recommend trying this amazing product, and I've teamed up with them so you can get 20% off your entire order. Just head over to ZenkaiSports.com and use the discount code LYM20. 
Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Adam Douglas. Adam is the manager of sports performance with Hockey Canada's men's national teams. He has spent over 10 years working with both the men's and women's teams in strength conditioning and sports science role. He is responsible for building the physical performance plan for the U18 and U20 programs, including off-ice, as well as working with the coaches to understand the daily on-ice physical requirements to best prepare the players for short-term competition. During his years with Hockey Canada, he's been on teams in over 15 international competitions, including two Olympic Games and supporting teams that have won five gold medals. Adam also works as an applied sports scientist for Catapult Sports, working and supporting ice hockey clients using the technology. In this role, he is responsible for driving research and innovation within the sport using wearable technology, alongside helping the clients deeper understand the data they are collecting. Prior to joining Catapult, Adam spent nine years as the head strength conditioning coach at York University, and prior to that, he served in the same role with the Ottawa Senators Hockey Club. Above all his accomplishments, he's a husband to Colleen and a father to two little ones. I'm pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, Scotty. Great to be here and uh, really excited to chat with you today. Yeah, my tongue is not working very well so far this morning, so I'm going to take a little glitch of water. Usually for me, that just means I need to, uh, a few more cups of coffee and exactly. the brain starts buzzing. Yeah, I'm actually excited to have you on because um, it kind of uh, completes the cycle of uh, we hosted that summit that we were talking about before we got on the line with on hockey performance. And I pretty much interviewed everybody in that uh, group. And, um, you know, you're one of the outstanding professionals who's really done a lot of interesting stuff in Canada with hockey in the last 20 years or so. And I'm kind of curious, you sent me a great email with a lot of background. Uh, You know, I'm curious how you got into into that world and crafted that world for yourself. And actually, when I read it, it didn't mention where you grew up. But did you grow up in Ottawa or Kingston or or somewhere? Uh, I grew up in Mississauga, actually. So uh, I live in Oakville now, and I'm about 15 minutes from my parents' house uh, where I grew up. So Mississauga born and raised, and my travels have taken me to Kingston for at Queen's University for my undergrad, and then up to Ottawa, uh, then to Oakville, uh, out to Calgary, and, and back to Oakville now. Yeah, yeah. So you you were a hockey kid playing uh, hockey. Your brother, you mentioned your brother I, played a lot, and you played a yeah, lot. Yeah, I, I was a master generalist when it comes to sports. I would say both my brother and I were blessed with hard work and hustle, uh, <laughs> which has gotten us uh, pretty far in our, our careers in both uh, um, life and sports. My dad was a big hockey player. My dad actually paid, played for the Kingston Frontenacs, mm-hmm. uh, played at Queen's University as well. And, and so hockey... Uh, from him has always been a big thing. Um, my brother and I actually, we took to football. And mm. so we started playing football in high school. We played hockey all growing up, but um, you know, the highest level would have been rep hockey. Um, but when we got to high school, we, we played football and that's what we continued on to uh, at university. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coming back to the heart and hustle, that's what got us, uh, you know, on to those teams in university, we, you know, we weren't the biggest, we weren't the fastest, we weren't the strongest, but, uh, you know, we learned, uh, and I learned it a lot from watching my brother that, that, that can take you a long way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I was reading the stuff from Queens. I didn't re- I didn't realize uh that you went to that you went to Queens and then uh, the connection with Rodney Wilson who's my wife Jamie's best friend from growing up and stuff and the, how was you, you played ball at, at Queens and then you blew your ACL out is that it? I, I had a short I, I would call it a short-lived <laughs> career. Um so in first year uh university I was basically on the scout team until my last Uh, I played the last game. So again, heart and hustle, they kind of uh, rewarded a few of us uh, that year. And and I got to play uh, uh, that last game. My brother was in third year at the time and he was a roster player, more a special teams type player. Again, coming back to that heart and hustle. But I I learned that you can get a long way through hard work and learning the game. Hmm. And so putting time in to learn and understand the game you know, that set me up well for my second year. And it was the first or second day of training camp. Uh, one of the last drills of the day was, uh, you know, a punt and cover drill, special team drill running down. I, you know, planted my right leg to cut left and fell. And like, that was it. And, you know, this was early 2000s. So like, I still, um, uh, you know, remember vividly it, but uh, that was it for that whole year and rehab to come back and rehab to come back. And, and, you know, the frustrating part was I put myself in a really good position to succeed and that injury happens. And then, um, rehabbed back, uh, was, you know, working hard, working diligently in the gym, um, you know, working with the coaches. And I had a freak injury playing softball that summer that I blew my rotator cuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, like blew it up, like absolutely blew it up. And, um, so those two injuries back to back pretty much, uh, were the nail in the coffin for me. Uh, you know, still tried to work hard, still tried to come back, but, you know, two plus years out of the game in, you know, somebody who doesn't have the requisite talent to be the best always and needed to work through it. It it was a lot to overcome. And, um, you know, it certainly forged me, uh, a little bit on my career path as a strength and conditioning coach, because, you know, we had a strength coach uh, at Queens, but she was also the track coach Mm -hmm. and individualization of programs wasn't a thing back then. So I had to do a lot of my own work, a lot of my own research. How am I going to get back? I had a great physiotherapist uh, that helped me through both of those injuries um, and really started to kind of plant some of those seeds of what do you need to do to get back on the field? It's not just squat, bench press, cleans, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I figured, okay, if it helps me and I can't help my guy, my teammates on the field. I took a few under my wing and and we started training together and we formed a little bit of a training group and they let me experiment on them. And, you know, this is, this is pre-internet, right? Like we're talking early two thousands, you know, the internet was there, but we were still researching in journals from the library. And so that kind of forged my path. And uh, I connected up with Rodney. I think it was my fourth, third or fourth year. It was, must've been my third year. And, and I remember distinctly sitting in his office and you and Jamie came by and, and he introduced me and you were with the Habs at the time. And, um, you know, the, the work we did with Rodney was great because, uh, he was just starting kind of getting into that athlete training model. It was, it was still so new back then. And so, uh, working with Rodney, uh, at that time as an undergrad student, you know, I was doing personal training with him because he was still running kind of the 
fitness lifestyle side of things. So I was getting some coaching hours. We weren't calling it coaching back then because it was just training. And we were training people and, and him and I started to kind of work on this athlete concept and that complete athlete. What does that look like? And uh, so that was kind of my first opportunity at Queens to experiment and, uh, and, and kind of dip my toe into the athlete training waters. So were you in a sports science degree at the time or did you have to sort of shift uh, your educational process? It was uh, like, uh, so at that time it was physical and health education, which okay. is now the school of kinesiology. But um you know, for me, like we're a Queens family. My parents went to Queens. My older brother went to Queens. So I went to Queens. Um, but you know, my dad and my brother are businessmen, like he- like heavy, success- successful businessmen. So I kind of the black sheep and was like, I don't like numbers and all that stuff. So let's figure out the human body. I really liked biology in high school. And, and I, you know, I was kind of on the path to be a PT or AT until I still remember I was in second year university. We took this theory and methodology of uh, weightlifting that the class was called, taught by Mel Torcalacci, track coach, that, you know, the de facto strength and conditioning coach before that existed at the university. But Anthony Slater was an upper year student. I don't know if you know Anthony. He's I know Anthony well. In fact, he came yeah. up and did an internship with, or not an internship, but a few days with me before he went down to Exos, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember he came back and uh, did a presentation of the class about his intern experience and blew me away. And I was like, wait, there, this is actually a thing like training people and working with athletes. And, and, you know, I was playing football and, and Exos is a football factory. So, you know, at that time that was their, their big thing. And he got to do a lot of that just blew me away. And, and that's the first time I remember being like, wow, like I need to, experience this and look mm-hmm. into it. I remember we, at the end of that year, we had to do a, a full yearly periodization plan. And I would love to be able to dig that up somewhere to, to look at that and see what uh, second year Adam put together. But uh, that was my first taste. And then Anthony and I connected, uh, you know, he had another year or two. Uh, he was playing hockey at the time and, and I was still playing football. And so we connected really well. And then he obviously transitioned that to, I think he's still with, uh, uh, Exos uh, mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's even in Africa now, actually. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh wow! Um, so that that was the first time, and then uh, you know, once I kind of wrapped up, and I still had in the back of my head that maybe I could make a comeback for football. Um, I decided to do an internship as well. Uh, I went down to Florida at a place called Chris Carter's Fast Program. Chris Carter mm-hmm. being the NFL receiver. Uh, you know, talk about attention to detail and, and, you know, the, the birth of the internet, I missed the, uh, athletes performance at the time, their internship deadline and Anthony, you know, emailed them and they said, listen, like, there's nothing we can do. You know, I, I one of those where I was sitting on the fence, do I need to work? Can I do this internship? What can I do? And I missed it. And so, uh, but fortunately I went down to Florida and had an unbelievable experience. It was a small facility, got to work with a ton of high level NFL clients because that was, um, you know, Chris Carter's background and, and what they did. And, uh, I, re- I distinctly remember uh, the internship coordinator at the time, her name was Jasmine. She sat me down at the end of my internship and said, you know, would you like to come back after, you know, you graduate in a, in a year? We'd love to have you back. You did a great job. I said, ah, I don't know. Like, I love Florida. Do I want to go down to the U.S.? I, I just didn't really know. And she said, okay, well, my advice to you is if you want to stay in Canada, 
you need to learn the sport of hockey because that's their sport up there. And, and if you come down to the U S you know, you're well positioned in football, you, you know, you, you know, the sport inside and out, you played it, but you have to learn hockey if you're going to stay in Canada. And that was great piece of advice because that's what I did. You know, I, I'm, I'm seen now as a hockey guy, but at that time, everything I had done was football. I didn't even work with the Queens hockey program. I, I was, I was hawk, I was football all the time. That's who I was training. That's who my peer group was. And once I graduated from university, I realized like Jasmine's right. I need to figure out this hockey stuff. So that led me to the path of, of moving to Ottawa and getting a job with Lauren at the ACC because he was a de facto hockey guy mm-hmm. and who better to learn from at that time. And then somebody who had their own gym, uh, you know, was a, a big name in the sport. Um, and this is 2005. And so, you know, fortunately I had uh, a really good friends that had trained at the ACC during their university years, as soccer players, I had friends in Ottawa. So it was an easy, easy move to pick up and move once Lauren offered me that job. But, uh, you know, I would have been lost from that little piece there if Jasmine hadn't planted that hockey seed for me. It's wild how you can have certain sort of in, these little interactions kind of domino and change your life at different points. It's a it's a neat thing when you reflect back on them for sure. Yeah, um, the, just to follow up on that brief interaction, and this is something I didn't email you, so we, we, we might get there, but uh, it was one of those brief interactions that set my path on with the senators and it links back to Queens, but um, you know, I'll briefly tell the story. And then if we cycle back to it, we can get back to it. But um, Randy Lee at the time was the conditioning coach Mm. with the senators. And I took uh, a throwaway class in my fourth year of university called leadership. It was taught by the business program as an elective, uh, but taught by John Phelan. I don't know if if you've heard the name, John. Yeah. So he's uh he was early kind of sports psych, uh, but leadership and teams and all that. And he had done some consulting work with the senators, um, you know, kind of, again, early 2000s. And uh, I just took the class and, and, you know, we hit it off. He's a big rugby guy, big rugby background. Um, but when I first met Randy, I remember him coming to the gym because we were, you know, Lauren was working with Wade Redden and Alfie and a bunch of the Sens guys during the summer. And, you know, I'm just this first year little guy and, but that's the Ottawa Senators strength coach. And, you know, so I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, take a deep breath and just go introduce myself. And, and so I went over and he's like, ah, I've heard about you. And I was like, Oh, you've heard about me. He's like, yeah, John Phelan said, if I ever cross paths with you, I need to make sure I come over and say hi to you because, uh, you know, you left a good impression on him. And and that started Randy and I's friendship, which ultimately ended up into a job. And, you know, you never know where those small kind of connections and pathways can take you. Interesting. I want to unpack that piece and go into the the senators thing a bit. Uh, Before I do that, I'm just wondering, did you recognize or discover um, you're like, you talk about the football background and that's not an unusual, I mean, in fact, uh, we, as you re- re- said, Lauren was a, a, a hockey guy, but he self admits he's a football guy too. But, and I, my background was football as well, but did you recognize your biases in football and how you had to sort of put them down that, that lens of, of football and actually discover hockey for what it is and isn't in comparison to football when you started working with hockey players? You know, it, yes, and at that time, you know, this is almost 20 years ago now, um, 
the world of training was so different too. And it was still just discovering itself. So I, I feel like I've kind of discovered and modeled along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, I, I still, when I'm training athletes, for me, strength underpins everything. And that's probably still taken over from my bias of football. But even for hockey, you know, I want my athletes strong and, and I want to build that base of the, that, that pyramid of strength for them before we get to the higher training qualities because, um, you know, strength wins so much and, and strength helps overcome a lot of things. And, you know, you, you have to shed that football side of things if you want to be successful in hockey, I think. Um, you know, Matt Nichols, another great example, you know, he's a self-admitted football guy that that's gotten into hockey and uh, it helped. But at the same time, especially when I was still at the ACC, I, I was still developing my toolbox so much um, that, you know, you, you could take some stuff in, put some stuff in, you know, a lot more of the single leg training that Lauren was doing a lot more kind of that, that balance and stability work. We had never done any of that, you know, mm-hmm. military press, bench, squat, clean, snatch, like that's the programs I had done from a football background. And then, you know, working with Lauren and, and Randy, you know, you see this, the single leg stability, you know, the BOSU ball thing was still around then, but um, you know, if you, eliminate the BOSU ball, it's still single leg balance work with, you know, perturbations of different load or anything on it. So, um, you know, you get rid of that, but the strength is still the underpinning. And then I could take and and pull from the toolboxes. Mm -hmm. And and that's the, that when I look back on my time at the ACC was exposure and allowing myself to experiment and build, you know, my own core philosophy, but also, you know, working with guys like John Zahab, J.R. Leger, Matt Price, when we were all there, you know, it's just sampling from each of them. And it was such a formidable time for me because I was could build out that toolbox mm-hmm. um, to help me as I developed as an SNC coach. Yeah, I was, I was curious because for me, I mean, I recognized um, fairly early on in my career working with the different those different sports that, I mean, I had played football in my life and had played hockey, but football was my game as well. But, um, you know, the recognition that, you know, football is a, is a physical game. You know, the nature of it is your physicality. And so you can overcome a lot of things on the playing field by the physical nature of your development and uh, proficiency, whereas hockey is really a skills game. And the more skilled you are, and there are so many elements of the skill, whether it's your puck handling, your uh, you know, your visual field and, and your ability to seize time and space and, and your ability to, um, you know, use your skates to their best, you know, their best benefit and the efficiency of skating and all these things that are so much different than football. And I recognize that it was less a, a physical game and more of a skills game. So that for me connected me more with understanding how much time had, time on task had to be effectively aligned with the training those things whereas a football player you can you really can sort of say okay they're going to train six days a week heavy duty training in the off season to be prepared because that's the physical nature of their game whereas a hockey player has all these other elements that they have to prepare and so then you have to understand the piece of the pie and that, that was kind of my 
my seeing of that. I don't know how that relates in your sort of growth and development as you've gone gone on. So yeah, the skill of skating is what is ultimately unique to hockey, and the energy system demands are are so unique to hockey that those are the two biggest things. And mm-hmm. I would say um, early on, you know, I learned a lot from Matt Price about energy systems and conversations him, Lauren, and I had, and when he went to Calgary and was really kind of shaped by Steve Norris and, and some of that thought process. And I was very fortunate that one of Matt's really good friends was still playing in the NHL at the time and training at the ACC. And, and when Pricer left, I kind of uh, overtook his training with Pricer still writing the program. So really got to dive into some of the deep energy system work that um, that Pricer was doing with him. And, and that was kind of my first formulation of that. And then the skill of skating, I would say would, you know, one of the first times I, I, I really started to consider that was some of the conversations I had when I was with the Sens or with our general manager about some specific players. And they're like, well, you need to work harder in the gym with player X because he's a bad skater on the ice. And I would say, well, shouldn't he be skating on the ice if we want to get him to be a better skater? Like Mm -hmm. I can make him stronger. This is a veteran player. I'm not going to make him that much stronger, but if we can get him skating better, then isn't that what you want? So then, you know, conversations about that and and how to make the better players better and, and, you know, exposing them to the specific tasks that they need to do is probably better than, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, working them in the gym because everyone thinks they're lazy. (laughs) Well, talk, talk about, I know the, as you had noted, noted in your thing that you, you get this job with the Ottawa Senators. I, I will always remember actually one of our first conversations was in the visitor's gym of the Bell Center. Um, I don't know if you remember that conversation, but the two of us were sitting in the back and I, you guys were kind of struggling and I think, and I could see in your eyes that, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a challenging year for you and stuff. And so you got it at a fairly young age. So just talk about getting the job and then, you know, were, did you have this recognition of, of I'm in deep water here and I got to figure this out or, you know, what, how is the, how is the process of that discovery for you? Talk about diving, you know, jumping off the boat in the middle of the ocean with no life raft. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I look back now fondly at the time, um, but I quickly realized that the business of sport had changed. And I remember that conversation, you know, sitting with you in that back gym. Uh, I also remember a conversation I had with Maddie Nickel early on uh, in the season. They were in Ottawa, or they were in Ottawa, and him and I were standing in, in the hallway chatting. And you know, we were just talking. And he was asking me, you know, how how the year was going, and you know, and, and he said to me, he said, you, "The one thing nobody ever teaches us when we get into this league is." the culture of hockey and the different layers that you need to know and how to uh, navigate those waters. You know, you've got your equipment staff, you've got the therapy staff, you've got the coaching staff, you've got the front office, you've got the players. How are we going to work through that? How are the expectations of the equipment staff plus the therapy staff, plus you and the coaches? Like, how is all of that going to work? More importantly, how does that interact with the players and the layers that you have there? And, um, you know, it was my first real experience in the business of hockey or the pro sport world. Um, we didn't have assistance back then. It was one person. Randy had moved to director of player development. So he was around to help me, but he was also down in bingo a lot. So I was kind of left to 
to kind of fend for myself and made a lot lot of mistakes, uh, a lot of relationship mistakes, um, a lot of uh, just not knowing what to do at at certain periods of time that they can't teach you that, that you only really know. And uh, it it was, I don't want to say I was set up to fail because I don't think that's right. But um, looking back now, there was a lot that was wrong with the experience heading into it. I, I think if I could have had Randy as the head for one more year and myself as the assistant, you know, that would have been great because, you know, I could have learned the ropes a little bit more. Um, it didn't help that we had a first year head coach that got hired a week or two after me um, and was the second choice of the team. Um, he lasted till January before he got fired. Uh, we had an aging roster who had been in, in the Stanley Cup finals two years prior. So there was still kind of that Stanley Cup hangover, people thinking we were better than we should have been. You know, if the expectation was we are not going to be very good this year, we need to build up. But that wasn't it. They were still trying to chase, mm-hmm. you know, chase the tail a little bit and chase the high. Um, the new coach coming in uh, was not a people person. Mm-hmm. He you know, communication wasn't a big thing. And, and, you know, my biggest takeaway when I look back now and the teams I work with with Hockey Canada, I stress the value of communication to all members of, of the decision makers and the need for that because we didn't have it. Um, I would hear things as people were kind of talking either in the gym or past my office or whatever. Uh, you know, I'd, we'd have a workout plan we wouldn't play very well. The coach would come in and he'd scrub the workout off the board and be like, you guys aren't working out. You need to go home and think about what we're playing. And we're like, wait, wait a second. And so I'd be sitting in the gym waiting for everybody. And a, one of the guy, one of the players would pop their head in and be like, ah, coach canceled workout tonight. And I'd be like, okay. Um, I'll pack up everything that we have set out. And, you know, so it was just, it wasn't a great environment. And um, even, uh, when this new coach came in, I vividly remember it was our first road trip with him. We were we were going up for like one of those four or five day swings that we're blessed with uh, in the Eastern Conference, and um, we were sitting. So when you pull up to the airport, you, you know you park in the the private hangar, and they have those like Mercedes Sprinter vans to shuttle mm-hmm. us to the terminal. So I I got there first, and you know there there's three rows of seats. So I get in and you know, I climb to the back. So people aren't climbing over me in their suits and everything like that. So I'm sitting there, we're waiting. He gets in next and he goes to the front row of the three seater and stares straight ahead. And I'm like, you know, good morning. Like, how you doing? He's like, good. Doesn't turn around. And it's him and I. And I remember I'm like, okay, um, you know, are you excited? Like, you know, first trip, like I'm just trying to spark conversation. He's like, yeah. Stare straight ahead, and I'm like, okay, you know, there's it, two of us. You're you've been here like three days. You were going on a road trip. You know, where's the the conversation? Where's you know? And and uh, so I, that didn't that didn't you know start and end well for me. I guess um, mm-hmm. I remember um, the, you know season ends. We didn't make the playoffs, and. Uh, we're having our exit meeting. So we do all our exit meeting with the players. Uh, we've been working on individualized programs for the guys in the summer, which was new because at that point it was just booklet after booklet that, that would get released. But, you know, I wanted to individualize things with the guys that, that, you know, we felt needed it. And, and so I was working on all this stuff, did, did all my exit meetings, coaches meeting with every staff member. And I was last and he keeps putting it off and he keeps putting it off. And in my head, I'm like, ah, this can't, 
can't be that good. He was going back to Alberta or BC or wherever his summer home was. And um, he's like, yeah, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. And, you know, so he was sitting in his office. I'm basically sitting in the video theater waiting. I've got nothing else to do. All my meetings are done. Uh, and I'm just waiting and waiting. I pop my head in. I'm like, hey, can we, you know, have this meeting? I know you got to leave. He's like, yeah, I got five minutes. And he sits me down and he says, uh, you know, Adam, not too sure about next year. I, I only had a one-year deal. Um, again, a, a mistake at, that I made at the time was only signing a one-year deal. But um, so my, my contract was expiring. And he's like, I don't know about you. Like, you know, you're young, you're 26 and here you are in the national hockey league. So I, I explained to him and I'm like, you know, it's, it's a different career trajectory for um, strength and conditioning coaches versus head coaches. He's like, I just turned 40 and I just finished my first season in the national hockey league. You haven't ridden the buses. Like I have, you haven't put in your time. It took me, you know, 26 years or whatever of, of coaching to get where I am. And here I am. And here you are. And I said, it, it, it's different. Like, I know I haven't done it, but, you know, I, I've got the experience. I, I've worked with the players. Here's here's all our stats of, you know, how our, our team, even though we didn't get the results on the scoreboard, you know, X number of players played 82 games for the first time of their career as veterans. You know, we got buy-in for individualizations of program. You know, we bang, 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 bang. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I got to go. And so I, I'm like, okay. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. Get a call from him. Maybe a month later, we'd been training guys. We'd been rehabbing guys at the end of the year. And he, he called and he was jovial. I was like, wow, he's decompressed. He's had a chance. He's chit-chatting. And he goes, uh, is everybody set up for the summer? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, great. I got to go. Click. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, walk in the next day and, you know, Brian Murray, bless his heart, great man, um, you know, called me into his office and said, the head coach wants to make some changes to his staff next year and, and you're one of them. And I was like, like just devastated, you know, here I am, you know, thought the call the day before was great with them, had all of our summer plans and that was it. And talk about the, the rug being cut out from under you. Um, I was 27 now. Uh, this is the first time I've ever probably failed at a lot of things uh, and something this big, which had been a career goal. You know, you think you've made it, you're in the national hockey league and bang, done. And, uh, you know, but I decided at that point, um, I was going to help whoever was coming in. So, uh, you know, Randy, uh, you know, helped a lot. They hired Chris Schwartz to come in not too long after you. I went back to Bank at the time, sat down with Randy and Chris and went through everything with them. And, you know, Tim Murray was the assistant GM. He walked by at the time and, and kind of called Randy out and was like, didn't we didn't we fire Adam? And Randy's like, yeah, but here he is. He's, he's come back and is helping Chris with the summer. And they were like, Oh, like that, that's good. And so, uh, you know, I did, I was determined that, you know, it's like anything, you never want to burn bridges, but mm-hmm. like to this day, Schwartz, he's a, you know, a good colleague of mine. And, um, it, you didn't, I didn't want to burn any bridges. Like I, I wasn't, I, I understood enough that it was a situation out of my control. Mm-hmm. It's still gut-wrenching, but it helped formulate the rest of my career. And I look back on that time now as it was a cool experience, a cool opportunity. It was a goal of mine to work in the National Hockey League. You know, I'd certainly be smarter if, if we ever went back. But, um, you know, a lot of those 
missteps and, and poor communications and run-ins that I had with, with coaches and other staff members have really formulated my relationships now with the teams that I work with with Hockey Canada because we didn't have good communication and suffered from it. So that's one of the things I stress up and down. How, do, how co- cohesive can the backroom systems be to help support us? And, and that's what we focus on now with Hockey Canada. I love it. Do you, do you think, you know, in hindsight, if you could take Adam now and put him in that same year, you would have, what, what do you think circumstantially you would have done differently? Matrix Fitness produces training equipment that focuses on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike, with equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner. Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix Performance team assist their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and get better. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Matrix Fitness Canada for the latest updates around the success stories that document what makes Matrix unique as an equipment manufacturer. Totally different. Number one, I'd be more confident in sticking up for uh, kind of my expertise in my domain area. Um, you know, you, you, at that time, I just deferred a lot to the coaches because that's what I thought, you know, mm. the first time a coach should have, the first time the coach wiped that workout off the board, I should have gone in and said, listen, you can't do that. It took five, 10, 15 times for me to, to go in and say, what's going on here? And our guys need to work out. They don't see workout as punishment. He was coming from junior hockey where workouts were punishment. Mm. And so you know, to stress to him that these guys like working out, like they, they know they need to do it for their career. So let's, let's continue that. Uh, So that would be a big one. And that's one of the things that I I tell a lot of younger coaches is as you move up, it gets harder to work with coaches just because, you know, it's a business. And and so everyone looks out for number one. Um, So I I would be stronger in my convictions a little bit. Uh, The way I managed some of those uh, assistant coaching relationships, you know, we had uh, some former players. I would have leaned a little bit more on kind of those early retired former player assistant coaches more. Um, You know, I had a great relationship with our leadership group and Alfie. Um, But you know, my voice was muffled. I remember, you know, when they chose to make the coaching decision, they pulled everybody into the locker room and, you know, Brian addressed the team and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring up this other coach. We've canceled practice, but we're going to work out. And so I said, okay, guys, let's go in the gym. You know, we'll keep the energy high. We'll do a good workout and we'll get out. And, you know, Alfie joked, wow, Adam, this is the first time, you know, we've heard you like, tell us what you, you know, kind of what the direction of the day was. And, and so I took that as, you know, I I have to speak up more and, and, you know, I can't just rely on the plan and those guys showing up and then talking to them when they're in the gym. And Hmm. um, so that, so that would be a big one that too, is just, you know, owning that, that process a lot more and just the, the value of the relationship with the coaches, I guess all staff members, but, you know, certainly in hockey, the, 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 cross appeal of physical performance and the coaching staff is huge. And, you know, they still control a lot of what we do, but being able to help and assist them, uh, you know, coaches coached and the trainers trained at, at our time when I was there. And so the whole uh, high performance mentality and that high performance model is what I would definitely try to bring in. And it would improve that. It would have improved that culture so much. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, 
you kind of bounce back from this and take a role at York University. Is it this is after Lidstone leaves? Is uh, are you replacing Steve or is it? Yeah, th- there was one guy between Steve and I at York. He lasted one year, but mm. um, so again, we 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 go back to you know kind of those those small moments that can impact. So when I was uh, at the ACC, we trained Katie Weatherston, who was a national team player at the time, was on the 2008 Olympic team for Hockey Canada. We were one of those kind of approved training facilities. And so I started working with her. Um, uh, Hockey Canada, you know, feedback got back to Hockey Canada that, you know, I was doing a good job. And so they invited me to one of their camps. And it was uh, a knowledge share. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an on-ice camp, but they brought in myself, Steve Nor, um, myself, Steve Lidstone, Doug Stacy, Dave Humphreys, and Mark Powers as a skating coach, and it was basically like, um, and and Jason Poole at the time was leading up the strength and conditioning for the women's program. Is like, how can we be better? What do we need to look at, and how can we be better? No idea is a bad idea. Let's talk training. Let's talk skating. Let's talk everything. And Steve and I hit it off, like hit it off, and we've been friends ever since. That would have been two thousand seven, I believe. And great, great friends and colleagues ever since. But uh, he had just left to go to Mac. Uh, I was just, I had just accepted the job with the senators. So I was just leaving. Um, but I went to a camp out in Calgary. And again, Steve's there. Um, Jason Poole was there. And again, we hit it off and worked closely together. And when I, you know, lost my job with the Sens, my dad as a businessman was like, we got to network again. Like we got to get you going. And I didn't really, I would have taken anything at the time, but you know, the, the opportunity to work in this UCIS U sport area was intriguing. So I talked to Steve, we, we had stayed in contact throughout that year. And, and he was like, listen, the guy who they had hired for me at York was just leaving. I can kind of get your name in there. And, um, Fortunately, another member of the panel was Dan Church, who's the women's hockey coach, but he also is one of Hockey Canada's coaches. So, you know, kind of through Steve and, and, you know, Dan had heard from Hockey Canada, kind of, you know, who I was and that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, interviewed well, um, did the practical piece, everything, got the job at York, a lot of it, thanks to Steve and and Dan and Hockey Canada. And, And then at that time, I, it was, uh, I started back at York in 2009. So right after the, um, right around that same time, I reached back out to Hockey Canada. Mel Davidson, um, uh, you know, has been a great mentor of mine over all these 10 plus years. Um, you know, I reconnected with them and started working with their women's program again, also through Dan at York. And so now I had left Ottawa, uh, we'd moved to Oakville, um, my wife and I, there's nothing like, uh, getting fired and getting married and moving, uh, cities in the same summer. Uh, that was, that was a big summer for us. Um, and, and, uh, yeah. And then, so, you know, between Steve and I, and now, so now Steve is at Mac, I'm at York. And I think at that point, we're the only two full-time SNC coaches in the OUA for sure. Um, there are a few guys that were kind of blending, like Rodney was blending that lifestyle and SNC piece, but you know, our two portfolios were this. And uh, you know, I I leaned very heavily on Steve uh for that first year. Uh, you know, I started my first day at York was the first day uh, of classes. So September the the, the 
after Labor Day. And I remember going in and being like, okay, I'm here. Like, what do I do? They're like, basketball team showing up at 12. They want you to test them. I'm like, okay, here we go. And fortunately, we didn't have any kids at the time. Uh, actually, my wife was still living in Ottawa because, you know, we were selling our house. She had to finish up her teaching contract till Christmas before they could get somebody in to replace her. And so I... I worked and built that program and, and, you know, we started with like three teams and then, you know, over the years had grown that up to, I think 13 was our peak at one point. And, uh, you know, fortunate to be able to hire assistants, um, you know, work with lots of good students. I was never able to build the program that Steve was able to do just from, a uh, you know, uh, logistics was, were different. It was different, different environment at York, but still very proud of what we were able to do over the nine years that I was there. Mm-hmm. I did the opposite of you. I got, um, divorced, fired and moved cities in the same <laughs> year. So <laughs> yeah, there, there's a talk about stress. There's, there's a lot of stress there. Um, I want to get into the, I'm really interested in the unpacking of the Hockey Canada piece in, in different ways. And um, rather than kind of going through the litany of years of, you know, the technical that you delivered, what I'm curious about is what you recognized um, maybe early on or it took a while for you to recognize the difference between call it tournament play and tournament preparation and big event preparation, which is really what hockey can is about versus the sort of seasonal preparation of uh, the national hockey league or the college sports programming where you have sort of this dedicated off season, everybody trains for their 82 games their 24 games or whatever. They're different animals and they have different, they have a sort of a different um, cultural romance or non-cultural romance in some sense about the things that you do or can do. I'm just kind of interested in what you recognized right off the bat and then over time recognized is really different and had to adjust the way you thought or worked with that kind of tournament play mentality. Yeah, I would say there's there's two big things. Number one, you learn very early on, and it's drilled into you from a hockey Canada perspective, that there's one medal that that we win, and that's gold. And so that frames everything that we do, from the opening meeting to the way we plan our warm-ups and cool-downs to the way we interact with the coaches to the way we want the athlete to succeed. It's to win a gold medal. And, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, you lost, but congratulations on the silver. That doesn't sit well with us. And, and that's, and, and everything from, from a hockey Canada perspective is driven to win. And the part, the second part relates to that is that in short-term competition, the bandwidth for error is so small. You can't give any games away. And so you need to prepare and plan for every game as it's that gold medal is on the line. Because certainly, uh, you know, on the women's side, you know, you can argue that it's a, you know, a lot of the time is a two-horse race, but a lot of those other countries are coming up, and you see the the bandwidth for error when it when it gets missed. You know, last year in the women's worlds, uh, Hockey Canada won a, won a bronze, and we lost the semifinal game to Finland, um, and and so the margin of error is so small, and, and especially even more so on the men's side with our World Junior program. You know, you look at this past tournament that we had, we were like the, the division of death, right? It was U.S., Canada, Russia. Um, 
And there's no margin of error there. And we were actually just on a call the other day looking at this year's tournament. And we are in the other pool now. The tournament of death is is um, Russia, Sweden, U.S. If you come second of our pool, you're playing one of those top teams. Mm-hmm. So we need to win our pool, which, you know, Finland is one of the other top countries in that pool. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And, and you lose that. If you come second, you're playing one of those top nations. So Canada versus any one of those top three is going to be a good game. And you lose that, you're out. It's quarterfinals at that point. And that's what happened to us in the Vancouver year. We, you know, we lost to Finland in that quarterfinal game, which was a wild game, but we still lost and we were out, which isn't good for us. So everything needs to frame, be framed that every game is a gold medal game. There's, there's nowhere to slip. You can't take nights off like you can in the National Hockey League or in some of those other uh, other um, other leagues. And so that needs to frame our preparation. We can't waste any day as we build a gold medal team. Mm. And so now one of the things that I do a lot is, is I work with our coaching staff to understand that what they do in their practices, because when we're preparing a team, the number one thing we do is expose them to practice. And that's their main driver of physical and technical and tactical preparation that we can be strategic with what we do on those practice days to put ourselves in the best position to succeed. And, um, I, I always talk about not wasting a day and really I've crafted our physical performance pillar around a concept. I, I saw, um, at the USOC event probably four or five years ago now by Ben Rosenblatt, who worked with um, British field hockey. And it's this concept of tournament durability where the physical preparation needs to support the much needed technical and tactical. So everything I do and everything I work with our coaches allows our athletes to express the tech tack outcomes that coaches want when they need it from the athletes. And, and that allows us to take this view of let's be our best every single day. And what can we do to make sure our athletes are durable, durable enough to win a gold medal on December 26th and January 5th. Cool. I'm going to, you, you mentioned a lot about how important your wife has been in your sort of quest for the Holy Grail of gold medals and uh, the the Christmas holidays and the things that you've committed. And it was interesting because I went and read my, read your purpose, um, which I'm sure if you've listened to my podcast, you know, what's Mm -hmm. coming. Um, You were born May 4th. So you are Taurus four. Your purpose is to use your constant need for change and tension for a positive goal that will allow you to experience your personal truth and be a positive catalyst for others in their lives. You are unique, and if that is not fulfilled, then something has been lost, says Martha Graham, a true Taurus. With Taurus 4, the individual prevails. The challenge is for them to remain their own person while being part of a relationship. A born catalyst, the Taurus 4, has the power to affect change through ideas, experiences, and sometimes just by their presence. They may be shunned because they're, they're provocative, but they'll never be accused of being boring. This dynamic is restless and in a state of constant flux. Few people can keep up with their ability to transform the moment, arriving in a new place and perspective while others are still trying to understand something the Taurus 4 discarded ages ago. They are often misunderstood, but with maturity, they begin to respect their ability to 
affect change. Hopefully they use this ability in a positive way and not just to create trouble. These people reach a point in life when they don't care what others think. Their uniqueness brings them success. They bring excitement wherever they go. Their ability to handle many different things simultaneously astounds even their biggest fans. However, if they are indiscriminate and ruled by their need for excitement, they could find themselves wandering, wondering who is the next who is next to them in the morning. Too much togetherness makes them nervous. They need space to grow. Uranus tends to embrace ideas and causes rather than the, the personal or the intimate. Wow. After you told me about uh, your, your, so you must have found the right wife who, uh, who knows you need to be unique and individual and to do your thing. So tell me about that relationship. Yeah. You know, um, that was amazing, Scotty. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, a, a lot of things to kind of unpack and look at, but, you know, firstly with my wife, um, I can only do what I do because she handles the home front spectacularly. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you kind of mentioned the Christmases. So um, one of the things that I do with World Juniors is our tournament is over Christmas break and Christmas holidays. And uh, this will be, this coming Christmas will be my seventh tournament with our World Junior team. My oldest son is eight and my youngest turns six relatively soon. So if you do the math, it's a lot of Christmases missed. And my wife has picked up the torch and, and made sure that we have Christmas before I leave, you know, we, we FaceTime, we, you know, she sends me the videos of the, the school concerts that I've missed. And, it, and it's a, it's, it's big, huge. I, I could not be where I am without what she's been able to, to hold down. And, and um, I can't remember if I told you this story or not, but um, my first world junior experience um, was kind of defining for all of the six that have, have passed it. But um my son was my, my youngest son was born at the end of November. And I think the week he was born, I got a call asking me if I would be interested to leave in two weeks time to join the team in Toronto. Fortunately it was in Toronto. Um, you know, so we had this, this two week old baby and here I am saying, bye honey, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. And you know, that six week, you know, kind of parental leave that I blocked off at university where we were both going to be home. Well, that, that's proof that's gone uh, because this is an opportunity that, you know, has been presented to me. And, and fortunately she's a, a big believer in, in what I do. And, and, and so she, you know, it's like, yeah, no problem because it was only going to be short term. Mm-hmm. So my initial, the initial ask from Hockey Canada at that time was two weeks. I was going to go home. I was going to help them during their pre-competition period, do some monitoring with them, work with the players, establish good habits. And then I was going to fly home on, from Montreal on uh, Christmas Eve because they didn't need me anymore, right? They had never had somebody in a strength and conditioning sports science role before this was new. You know, it was kind of those, they'll dip their toe in the water. We'll see how it goes. You know, we'll keep you a little bit. Um, so we had this end date. So my wife is like, yeah, you can go. You'll be home before Christmas. No big deal. it will be a good opportunity for you. And, you know, we get there with Hockey Canada and Kent Kabelka and, and Doc Ald, um, who work with the Calgary Flames now, um, they, they were like, yeah, this is new. They were veterans of the World Junior Experience. And they basically said, keep your head down, do a really good job, and we'll see if we can keep you for the whole tournament. And in my head, I'm like, that's really cool. 
I don't know how that would go over at home because I just left my two-week-old. But hey, you know what? I'm I'm a giver. We'll, we'll, we'll give her and we'll see what happens. So uh, I distinctly remember we, we were now in, in, in pre-comp uh, in Niagara and I live in Oakville, so like an hour away. And and Bruce Hamilton, who was our general manager at the time, pulled me into the room and he said, you know, you're doing a really good job. We want to keep you, um, but you got to go ask your wife. And I'm like, no, I want to say yes now. And he's like, no, as a lifelong hockey man, you need to go ask your wife. So they gave me the night off. I, drew, I borrowed one of the team cars, drove home, sat down, got to hold my baby. And then was like, so you know how I was planning coming home at Christmas Eve? Well, they've asked me to stay. And she looked at me and goes... So I'd been with Hockey Canada now on the women's side for a while. And she looked at me and goes, are you going to win? And I'm like, yes, we're going to win. <laughs> and she's like, okay, uh, you know, we'll make do. Her, her, my mother-in-law came down and spent almost that whole month that I was away with them. My parents lived 15 minutes away. So it was a very much a community-based um, time. Uh, and fortunately we won, uh, that was here, you know, we had Connor McDavid and Max Domi and Anthony Duclair, and we had a stacked team. Um, and we ended up beating Russia in the gold medal. And, uh, you know, one of the nice parts is if you have success, they don't necessarily just let you go after one year. So now I've been, you know, seven years later, but, um, you know, the story that I, that doesn't often get told is I remember driving to the bell center because that tournament was in Montreal that year. And, you know, I was calling to check in, it was Christmas and my wife was like, I can't talk right now, Christmas morning. And I'm like, okay. She's like, I'm actually taking Cole, our youngest to the hospital. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're taking him to the hospital. What's going on? Well, he's just, you know, his breathing was raspy and he just had a cold, but now he's like, three weeks old. So I'm talking to, you know, our team doctor and, and he's talking me down and my wife's like, don't come home. Like it's Christmas day. You're, you, you know, you got practice tournament, everything. And, and so I, I, I always joke now, tongue in cheek, I will never win a father of the year award because my wife spent that Christmas, uh, not too long at the hospital, but she still, uh, you know, reminds me periodically, but, um, you know, this is, this is, a, a, a person who has moved over and back across the country. Um, you know, she's a teacher, which is fortunate, but she took she was able to take six years off um, through, you know, union leaves and all of that and, and time built up to spend at home with our kids. And, uh, you know, we could not have done any of that without her sacrificing a lot of that. And, and you know, she loves being at home. She's an amazing mom um, and lets me you know, kind of do everything that I do, you know, spending a lot of time working on my academic stuff and, and, you know, schooling for seven plus years in graduate work, you know, there's stuff she needed to keep up because I had work that I had to do on top of my job at the university, which is intensive coaching, plus my hockey Canada job, which is intensive travel. And, um, you know, her and I talk now and, and, you know, we look back on everything and, and during this COVID period, we were joking and we were talking. We think this is the longest consecutive time I've been home since 2013, wow. which is crazy and wild. And, and you look back and you're like, wow, you know, and you know, Mike Boyle always says, you know, you know, you, you know, I can't remember what his direct quote is, but you know, make sure you are where your feet are or, you know, you can't chase all that stuff, but I would never have been able to do it without her and, and someone who's understanding and loves being home and has really championed that home front. So what what is what's your love affair with and what you do like what when you look at 
who you are and who you become professionally and what you do. And obviously you, you have to sacrifice numerous things in order to be able to do a master's and a PhD and work for Aki Canada and do all the things that you do. Like, what are you in love with that, that keeps you going when, when things are a little bit more difficult than. I love the team aspect. And, um, you know, I remember that's one of the things that I really loved about the job with the senators because you're part of that team. You're in the heart of competition. And I remember when I left that and was working with the university, I didn't have that. And that was one of the reasons why I loved getting back in with Hockey Canada is because I, I had that team concept again. You know, you, mm. the, the interaction with the athletes towards a common goal, which is that gold medal. Um, working with the coaches, working with the, the support staff. Um, and over the years, cultivating those relationships with people. I, I have lifelong friends through the sport of hockey that, you know, I, I value their friendship so much. You know, one of the things um, that uh, we've done during this COVID period is there's been a group of us, um, therapists, equipment managers, and me, I'm, I'm kind of the, the black sheep of that group, but um, we have a, a standing call every Wednesday night just to check in with everybody. You know, some people are older, some people are younger, uh, you know, some people have, have different family situations where they're by themselves. And so collectively, we started this Wednesday night group, and it's just a Zoom call, but we check in from all over the country and just to check in on each other and then say, hey, and what's up. And so being part of that team for the greater good is, is I think, what continues to drive me. And, mm. um, you know, I just, the people I've met in the sport of hockey is, you know, second to none. And, you know, everyone with what we do is about giving up what we do to make other people better. And, you know, that's what drives me is to help people be better. And Mm. one of the things that when I, you know, I have to kind of, I'm a constant with our group, but we get in different athletes in every year. I always say my job is to make you the best you can. So when the time comes, the coaches can get the best out of you. And so that's what drives me is to put those players in a position to succeed and and do what they do best. And and so that's, that's my main driver. Hmm. What do you, what do you consider your unique ability that allows you to, you know, shine in, in, in an environment like a team? What do you, what do you bring to the table you think's unique about you? Um, I think there's a few things. I think number one, I, I can talk, talk hockey. So talk, speed coach. And that's one of the things I, I challenge a lot of younger developing strength coaches to do is learn the language of the sport and how to talk that back. I can take all of these complex monitoring problems go into a room with our coaching staff and dial it down so they understand it and how it how it can impact what they do and, and I think that's one of my strengths is just being able to to communicate those high level concepts back to them and to the players the message I can deliver the same message to our coaches one way and our players the other way and it's, it's, it's different, but it's the same. And I can kind of do that. And I think that's one of the, one of my big strengths. I also think it's consistency. You know, one of the things I try to do with my practice is allow athletes to thrive off a routine. So our warmups will always start at the same time before they hit the ice Our you know, we'll follow the same flow. We'll have that consistency for them to rely on when, 
you know, the rubber hits the road or chaos ensues in a tournament. I want them to have that consistency and, and that calm, not necessarily a calming presence. I, I'm not a yeller and screamer, so I guess it is a calming presence, but they know 40 minutes before, regardless of the pressure of the situation, uh, the, the game that we have, if it's a gold medal game, we're going to start our warm up 40 minutes before they go on the ice because that's what we've always done. And so, you know, whatever they need to do, whatever headspace they need to get into for that, we're going to help them start their preparation of the game, regardless of what, when it is, it's going to be that. And, and so we're, we're trying to impose, you know, what I do into this routine base. So it's not all over the place. And I, I think it's stabilizing too, because I've done it now for, for you know, 10 plus years, but seven on the men's side. So coaches can be like, okay, you know, you're going to do this. Let's build the rest of our stuff. So they know when their video is, they know when they need to hit the players. And then when they come to me, it's, you know, we, we have that consistent routine built in. That's awesome. Well, an hour flies by when you're having fun conversations. So this has been, uh, it's been great to unpack um, some of your life and, uh, that's my selfish uh, benefit of doing the podcast is to get to know the people across from me a little bit better. So, no, thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. I'd love if you could send me that, uh, that quote, uh, that stuff that you were, you were reading there. That was, uh, you know, you, you talk about the uniqueness and I had a little chuckle in my head when, when you'd mentioned that, that uniqueness part, I was like, yeah, you ask my wife or you ask my mom, certainly they'll both uh, agree with that statement that I bring a uniqueness to, uh, to environments. Cool. Yeah, well, I'll send it to you and you can show it to your wife and see if she nods a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good rest of your day. Appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks, Scotty. I really appreciate it. Great job. Keep it up. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.